He transformed into a critic that his family could have never anticipated. The son of a Lutheran pastor, a mom, a grandma, aunts, a sister, who all loved Jesus, but as he grew into adulthood, he found a new God. And as he climbed the heights of academia, he found the belief in Jesus not just beneath him, but beneath society, holding society back from the potential that humanity had. Friedrich Nietzsche, the 19th century existentialist, he looked at the culture of the West, and he looked at the philosophies there, and and he saw the belief in God as something that was adverse to societal progress. In fact, that's when he made his most famous point that God is dead. God is useless today. He would contend that it's up to people to create our own values and our own meaning for life apart from God or dogma or popular choice. It's only when we despair of the death of God, as Jean Paul Sartre suggested, that we find life on the other side of that despair. You know, Nietzsche's thought might have seemed original or radical, but really it's a philosophy that's been around since the beginning of time. This idea that human beings, we seek our own meaning, we seek after our own gods, our sinful nature wants to drag us into that imaginary and shadowy world where God doesn't exist, or at least we try to push off that thought. But the more we go into that imaginary world, the more we walk into the waiting arms of the ultimate anti-God, death himself. See, the devil, the evil one, all of his attacks, they lead us to that place. A place where death infiltrates every facet of our lives. So perhaps it's not that God is dead, but death is God. Prophet Isaiah, as he looked at his loved ones and his family, he saw so many of them caught up in this false religion. He saw his nation turning to anything and everything besides the Lord and how all these false deities led to death spiritually and physically. He, writing this book and confronting his people with tears and with deep emotions and vigor, calling out to them to turn back to the Lord, to turn back to the God who alone can create life, who alone can overcome death instead of clinging to all the sin-infected things of this world. He warned them over and over again, if you don't worship the true God and Him alone, all you're going to find is grief and death. You're going to find death that not even a lifetime of grieving can process. Kind of death and being a refugee with no home to go back to. Families separated, homes burned to the ground. Life as they knew it would never come back. If the Israelites continued to walk on this path of creating their own meaning for life apart from Jesus, death would be at every turn. Now I know this is really heavy stuff this morning, but in order for us to fully experience the joy 
of the death of death, we have to recognize just how deep death's roots are in our hearts and in our lives. We may not be facing being refugees like the Israelites in Isaiah's time, but you know as well as I do that death is in every moment and every memory. I've heard it said like this, we sense death's hot breath and those flare-ups of pain that we didn't have years ago. We feel death's cold hands when those relationships that once burned with love have now turned into icy indifference. We hear death's laugh at all the injustices of our lives. Things like you know, eating healthy and exercising hard, but die anyway. As we try to seize the day every single day, have you ever found yourself finding that your primary motivating factor for life is avoiding death? And all the effects of death, do you and I ever fall into that trap where the gospel is no longer what's driving us in our lives, but instead it's this fear and this grief? It's that place where all we can see is death. And what do we do? Now think about how death is there even at the beginning of life, right? A child is born and there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot of joy there. And yet for that child, it's a death of sorts from that warm, secure place inside of mom. For parents, it's the end of a chapter of life, right? The end of autonomy over your life is your child rightfully takes a lot of your priorities. And you think about as that child grows up, graduates from high school and you have that sense of joy and pride for that. And yet, at the same time, you know it's the death of you being the primary caregiver. And for that child, it's the death from freedom from responsibility. Now, responsibility is all around them as they enter adulthood. And just think about how our culture, we try to avoid even the thought of death, right? You have the funeral, by the next day, okay, let's move on, let's get going, let's get life moving forward again. We try to minimize grief and its impact, even though we know that's impossible to do. And yet you walk in a giant and you see all those aisles of the anti-aging products that are there to take away those wrinkles and those blemishes, but we'd be delusional to think that by powder and cream we can make death but a dream, right? Think about if you've gone through past emotional and sexual and physical and spiritual trauma and how that death of innocence, it still affects your perspective on life, no matter how hard you try to suppress it. And think about in a few weeks, where God willing, I hope you get the chance to gather with family and friends for Thanksgiving, and yet you know as well as I, like we talked about in the children's message, as great as that's going to be, we're going to have to say goodbye at some point. It's that death of departure. Death could knock on our life's door at any moment, whether it's COVID, whether it's cancer, whether it's when it, death runs up to you as you look at that casket or that urn of a loved one and you see those glasses of separation put over your eyes wondering how am I going to go through life without that person. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he describes that shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. Death doesn't play favorites. All of humanity is its target, and all of humanity, we're forced to wear those never-ending mourning clothes, at least this side of heaven. 
And of course, the devil can't get enough. They think about all the way back in the Garden of Eden when he was strategizing that first temptation for Adam and Eve. He knew what the result would be if he could get them to choose death over life. Death of perfection. Death of a perfectly close relationship with God. Death of joy. Death of hope. Death, Satan hoped. Become the new God for the crown of creation. And he wants nothing more than to rip that crown off of your and my forehead so that you and I become friends with death. That we willingly take up those chains of sin and death that were taken away at our baptism and the Holy Spirit worked faith in our hearts to put them back on and be enslaved to him once again except this time forever. Death is all around us. And so often, When we sin and we fall victim to those temptations, we fall right in line with death again and again. But here's the thing about death, that universal swallower of life, it has a final chapter too. And the saints of old want to tell you, the saints of now, that incredible story. They want to welcome you into a banquet that's free from death forever But before you and I ascend that marvelous mountain, we must descend into the pit of grief with Jesus. Jesus couldn't stand death. You saw that in our gospel. Mary is breaking down in tears in front of him, and look how he responds. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The Greek here gives us an even deeper glimpse into his heart. He is physically shaking because of this grieving anger over what death has done to his people. He is livid to the point of tears with how much death has ruined everything and he couldn't stand idly by. He had to do something about it. And so he walks up to the tomb, death not willing to go down without a fight. And he tells them to take away that stone that odor of decomposition filling his airspace, but Jesus, he wouldn't be disoriented by death. He looks up to his father, lifts his voice, he calls Lazarus by name, his dear friend, and there he is, alive, walking. When death heard Jesus' voice, it had no choice but to run, retreating because it was defeated. Death couldn't hold Jesus back. In fact, Jesus wiped away every tear from all those who were there that day. But this was just a precursor of what was to come. Not too long after this, the Easter banquet would commence. That incredible, glorious Easter Sunday when Jesus walked through the throes of death and that universal swallower of life was itself swallowed up. Just like Isaiah prophesied, Jesus has swallowed up death forever. The one who waited, the one who suffered in solidarity for you with us, his saints, for us, now has his day to dance. And he extends his hand to you and to me to join in that beautiful festival. He invites you to climb to the mountain of the Lord Almighty, the God of Angel Army, a place high above all the effects of death, 
And you look around and you see this incredible banquet. You have vintage, priceless wine filling your cup. You have meat platters everywhere. Just the most amazing food you could taste. Maybe you can smell it right now. Just this amazing place. And you're looking around and you see Jesus. Then time stands still. And the music kind of becomes just a noise. And you look down the mountain. And you think about all the things the Lord brought you through to bring you here. And tears well up in your eyes when you think about all those things. Then you notice a presence. And the master of ceremonies is standing at your side. There's Jesus. And he puts his hands on your face. And he goes about not even saying a word. Just wiping every last tear from your eyes. Even grief no longer distorts our vision. You look around at this place and you see the Christian family you always long to have. You see that dear friend who carried you through that heartache in your life that without them, you wouldn't be here today. You see that child you lost to a miscarriage or that child you lost disease now forever found with you in heaven. You see that husband, you see that wife that was your closest companion throughout everything in life, now in a place where goodbyes don't exist. You see your parents, and they run up to you and give you that huge hug, your grandparents following right behind them. You raise your glass at this banquet table, and you see a gathering that will always be. You see a place where Jesus is always there. And you look at his smile, and Jesus' smile evaporates any thought of death forever. And the hair stands up on the back of your neck as you hear the collective voices of millions in the most beautiful and powerful tones singing together, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is the story the saints of old want you to hear every single day. This is the story that no matter how low you are, will build you right back up. Disgrace, your disgrace has been swallowed up by grace. The God you waited for has come. The God who ended death's reign is here. Our Lord has devoured that dish of death. And now he invites you to join in this incredible joy that one day you'll reign as kings with him. That everything in this life does have meaning. And it's the meaning that God has intended for you. But you know as well as I do, there's going to be times where that creeping voice of doubt is going to enter into your mind. And it's going to question, do you think this is really for you? Do you think you are worthy to be in the presence of God? And you know that you are. Why? Well, it's because of the most important phrase in all of Isaiah 25, and maybe it didn't seem like it at first, but this phrase makes all the difference. It goes like this. You know this is true because the Lord has spoken. This is what he said. The Lord of all power, all authority, all compassion. He said so. And his word always rings true. The death of death is here. The death of death is final. The death of death has brought you life. And this hope for you, his saints, 
It's not a tasteless one. This morning, you're going to get a foretaste of that heavenly banquet right here. You take the Lord's body and blood into your hands. You get a glimpse what it will be like to be in the presence of God. You eat the bread, you drink the wine, and you see those Christians gathered around you, this forever family, this family that goes beyond the grave, family that will join you in singing those glorious songs with Jesus one day. Death of death is here. It's right now. Think about the fact that as you climb towards that mountaintop of the Lord, you have these sights and these smells and these sounds that remind you that the Lord is walking with you. He will carry you to that place. But you and I know until we get there, death is going to be all around us. It's going to be a companion in a way, in a lot of ways. And yet you know you don't have to have any fear because death, no matter what it tries to tell you, is a mere doorkeeper to that amazing celebration that Jesus has been preparing for you since before time knew it existed. So when death approaches you, when its faceless form approaches you personally, and your sinful nature is shrieking within, you don't need to be afraid. Remember who you are. And most of all, remember the Lord has spoken. And this is what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? By grace you do. And I hope you know that right now there are saints and angels rejoicing in heaven over you. And they look forward to that day where you get to join them forever. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.